Good morning, afternoon, evening. Welcome to the Royal Deluxe Podcast, a podcast about the Kansas City Royals by some guy on the internet with a microphone. That'd be me. I'm Lux. Nice to see you. Good to hear from you all again. And sorry about Wednesday. Wednesday, I had a weird issue where my gain was just extremely high. The volume of my recording was extremely high in a way that I've never seen before. And I frankly had no idea why that it was happening. So I just kind of uh, worked with it and just put it out as best as I could. Sorry for that. I figured out the issue. Uh, It's a really weird bizarre thing that happened with my microphone or something like part of it i don't i don't know dude the only thing i can say is that i it was so weird and obscure that the only reason why i figured out how to fix it is because someone sent me a spanish tutorial about how to fix it Good thing the guy provided an English translation because I do not know any Spanish. Uh, I went to a pretty small school until high school, and uh, yeah, the Spanish class wasn't uh, wasn't very good. They uh, we uh, usually just went around in a circle and said how our day was. We would say it was muy bien or cc or mal, and then we'd sing some songs that had some Spanish words in it, and it was the same stuff every day for like. 15 minutes. <laughs> so I apologize for not knowing any Spanish. Uh, take that up with the school who didn't even have a Spanish teacher teaching us Spanish. Anyway, so since we last spoke, uh, we actually haven't been talking about Royals games all that much because last time we talked, it was the end of the trade deadline. So I was just recapping what happened at the deadline, was uh, talking about what I hoped I would have seen, but of course we didn't see much of that, so I talked about what we did see instead at the deadline, what we got back and who was traded and who should have been traded, blah 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 blah. So now we're going to get back to just just Royals games. Like, at, at this point, expectations are whatever. We're past the point of no return, basically. Whoever is on the roster now, that's what we've got. I mean, we could pick up some waivers, Along the way, like I kind of like Dinelson, Dinelson. I'm not sure what that guy's name is, but uh, Lamette, who was uh, from the Padres and was traded to the Brewers uh, for Josh Hader. You know, I said the, the I said the Brewers got like a haul for Josh Hader, and that was because I thought Lamette was really good. Uh, turns out maybe not really, and then the Brewers immediately DFA'd him. So, uh, not sure what the plan there is, but that's someone I would love to see the Royals take a flyer on. Why not? Why not, dude? Uh, anyway. Yeah, at this point, we're basically just running on autopilot for the rest of the season. We've just got baseball games to talk about. That's it. Oh, we've also got some roster news to talk about, so I guess I'll just, uh, recap that a little bit. Coming up... Onto the Royals roster, the Major League roster is going to be infielder Michael Massey, which is great. Really nice to see him again. He's someone that we kind of hope would be like the next Whit Merrifield. You know, someone who might not be an exceptionally amazing player. I mean, it's hard to hit as well as Whit Merrifield hit in his prime, but he can play all around. 
the field, basically any position, and he can be a, a decent enough hitter. So, yeah, good to see him back up after the Toronto series where he got to play a couple of games. Yeah, hopefully he just sticks the roster full time because, I mean, why not? It's not like we have anyone else that uh, is taking up roster spots for him. And again, because he, he can play all around the field. Yeah, he's our Whit Merrifield replacement. Uh, Sebastian Rivero is coming back up, which is no surprise. Cam Gallagher got traded. So we're going to be running three catchers with Salvi, MJ, and Rivero. And I would personally like to see MJ just play right field a little more. I think that would be great. Although, I don't know, maybe they want to DH Salvi a little more because health is an issue for Salvi. It always is. But at the same time, uh, Salvi just kind of seems to brush off whatever injury comes his way. He was supposed, he's still supposed to be on the IL. Like, like he, he came back like four weeks too early and uh, somehow things have been okay. He only has like a 950 OPS to show for it since coming back to the IL. So. I don't know, dude. Salvi just does whatever he wants. And we've also got outfielder Nate Eaton coming back up to Kansas City, which is great. I think Nate Eaton was probably the most exciting of the young players that we saw in Toronto. At least of the players that got sent back down. Because I actually think Nick Prado might have been the most exciting player from that Toronto series. But Nate Eaton had a really good Toronto series. So really great to see him once again. In exchange, uh, we do have someone getting sent back down. It is Michael Garcia. Which actually kind of makes sense. Although I do like giving Garcia some opportunities. And that's someone I've been kind of advocating to see in Kansas City this season. His defense was very questionable. So I, I would like to assume that the Royals are probably like, all right, bro, maybe a little too early for you to be up in the big leagues. We're going to send you down to AAA, have you work on your defense a little more. Because, you, you know, if you're going to be a shortstop, even a backup, it's really important that you got to stick this position, uh, play it defensively pretty well, because defense, defensive value is very, very important in Kansas City. And we've also got some IL stints. It is Edward Olivares and Angel Zerpa who are going to the 60-day IL, and that is a big shame, dude. Man, Edward Olivares was having a really solid season, and this is someone that we've just wanted to see get more opportunities, and Man, it's going to be a shame if if it turns out Ollie just doesn't really does doesn't really do much of anything, whether it's because of injuries or I don't know because the Royals continue to mismanage him because you know he got sent up and down all throughout last year and it was so frustrating to watch. So yeah, he really deserves some more opportunities, and then for him to get stricken with some injuries that that's a shame. It's a real big shame. I believe it's a quad strain. I believe it. I believe he's going through the same thing that Mondesi went through last year, where he had a quad strain, was rehabbing it, but then injured his other quad <laughs> or something like that. And it's like, oh my God, dude, is that just a coincidence or are the Royals really, really bad with quad injuries? I, I hope it's just the former, but uh, twice is, you know, I think they say twice is a trend, two times is a trend, something like that. I don't know, dude. Yeah, it's, it's just a shame to see Ali, uh, you know, not play for the Royals. Especially because, again, he was having a really good season this year. It was really fun seeing him in the lineup. He's, he's a really nice spark plug for this lineup. And then Angel Zerpa to the 60-day IL. So he's probably done for the year as well. And that's probably less a matter of a 
you know, him just having some arm issues. I'm pretty sure it was from that comebacker that hit him on the leg or the knee or something. I don't know if they specified what the injury is exactly, but I would like to believe that's what's going on with him. Ah, okay, I did just look it up, and it seems that it is a small tear in the patella tendon in his right knee. So, yeah, that does seem to be what happened. Very unfortunate, because Angel has been really solid for the few times that we've seen him this season. So, yeah, that's a, that's just a bummer. So then, getting past the uh, getting past the roster news, and then getting back to the past couple of games, uh, I don't have much to say about the Chicago series. The Royals bats were pretty quiet, although they did win the first game two to one, so that was nice. Pitching kind of blew up in the second game, lost nine to two, and then everything was just kind of dead on Wednesday. We lost four to one, maybe possibly due to the big roster shakeup that we had. You know, we lost Andrew Benintendi, we lost Whit Merrifield, who's been a longtime staple of this team. I mean, I'm not sure how the players actually feel about these guys, but I'm sure it's a it's a weird vibe seeing some familiar faces no longer around. You know, so. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't really take the Chicago series all that seriously. I was just kind of out of it, and it's like, eh, whatever. I did see some people complaining, and they're like, oh, this is supposed to be the future lineup, and they suck, and our hitting sucks, and everyone said our hitting was better now, and it sucks, and it's I'm like, they're young, whatever. They're going to have some bad games. What? Who cares? I'm not really all that worried about it. But then... Finally, the Bats did come back to life in the Boston series that just started yesterday. So on Thursday, Royals played the Red Sox, and they won 7-3. And it was a really nice offensive showing that I don't really have much to complain about, especially because everyone in the lineup got a hit except for Hunter Dozier. He is the one guy in the starting lineup that did not get a hit yesterday. And, uh, yeah... I'm I'm like kind of <laughs> over that to be honest. Uh I guess you could say well Isbell didn't have an at bat. Although Kyle Isbell did come into pinch run for Vinny Pasquantino and then he got picked off and it was not good. So, you know, these these are the two guys that I've been picking on the most, Kyle Isbell and Hunter Dozier, the two guys that have been like, "Hey, the Royals should trade these guys together." That's how you tr- that's how you we get rid of Hunter Dozier. We trade Kyle Isbell along with him and then, "Oh, wow, they were the two standout bad guys <laughs> of yesterday's game." That's a funny little coincidence. So, uh, yeah, I've just gone really quickly from, "Hey, the Royals should be giving Kyle Isbell more opportunities." Two, oh, Kyle Isbell just probably isn't that good. Yeah, it's uh, unfortunate how that works out. I guess maybe my judgment is a little clouded because, you know, he was one of the, the forbidden ten from the Toronto series. So maybe that's why I think a little less of him. But, uh, yeah, those were the two standout not good guys from yesterday. Otherwise, everybody else had a hit. Vinny had a hit and a walk, which is nice, and one of those hits turned into a run. Oh, actually, excuse me, it was a sacrifice fly. He did not get a hit that turned into a run, but that's fine. Sacrifice fly. Awesome, good job, Vinny. And Nikki Lopez had one hit and two walks, which is great. We love to see Nikki hitting a lot better. In fact, maybe this isn't the definitive game where Nikki's season turned around, but a while ago, I went to a game. I saw Oakland 
play the Royals, and that was a game where Nicky hit a triple. I think it might have been a bit of a lucky triple, but it was a triple nonetheless, and it was a really, really good hit. And I'm pretty sure I said on the podcast after, I'm like, that's something Nicky really needed, and I hope that this is the start of something better for him, because he was having an awful season pretty much up to that point. And ever since that game, Nicky has been hitting 309. So that's a nice, interesting thought. That was June 26th, by the way. So this is 35 games where Nicky has been above 300. He hasn't been getting as many walks. Well, he has. It took a while, though. Uh, His on-base in that time is 353. However, he has seven walks since... uh, When was it? When was it? Uh, July 26th. So yeah, it basically took a month for him to start walking again. But yeah, uh, Nicky hitting well is something that is going to be really great for this roster because Nicky is a great defender and he can, you know, if he can just be a guy to slap some singles around and take a few pitches, he can, he can really contribute at the bottom of the lineup. Think of, uh, think of Alcides Escobar, except actually capable of taking pitchers and also actually a plus defender. <laughs> And on top of those guys who who walked a little bit, we had two hit games from MJ, Bobby, and Salvi, who were all at the top of the lineup. Uh, MJ played left field, which is cool. Like I, like I've been saying, I would really love to see MJ play some corner outfield more than I would like to see him play catcher. I think that again, if we want to capitalize on his offense, I think that's what they should be doing. Put him in the outfield, let him focus on hitting, especially if you're going to use him as your leadoff man. Like, this is a legitimate thing the Royals can do. MJ is someone that can hit decently enough and take enough pitches that, yeah, he probably could work as a leadoff guy. So why not just have him uh, focus on his bat more and put him in the outfield instead of having to worry about him catching all the time? So he he went two for four, two strikeouts, but two hits, including... A solo home run, which is awesome. We love to see that. Bobby had a couple of hits and a couple of strikeouts, but that's fine. And Salvi had a couple of hits, including a three-run home run, which is one of the weirdest home runs that Kauffman Stadium has ever seen. It was just a a very, very strange thing where I guess they kind of ruled it as like a foul pole home run, but it was like it hit the padding below the pole. And it was, it was, man, you just have to see it for yourself. It was very, very strange. And I'm pretty sure that people kind of, people have kind of concluded that there's just no rule for it. Like, I don't think Kaufman has a ground rule for uh, that particular spot in the park as to whether or not it should be a home run or not. So I guess the, the umpires were just like... Uh, okay, there's nothing that says it's not a home run. So, I mean, it kind of looked like one. Uh, yeah, it was very, very strange. And look, if we even if we want to be like, oh, it's not a real home run, whatever, dude. It's a double that would have scored two runs anyway, and the Royals would have won six to three instead. Big whoop. I just think it's very, very. <laughs> I just think it was very, very funny, very, very fascinating. I don't think there are lots of uh, times where. Uh, the Would It Dong account has posted that this was a home run in two parks, <laughs> including Kauffman Stadium. Like, what? The launch angle was super low. 
The distance was 363 feet. That was like a certified Mickey Mouse home run at Kauffman Stadium. Who would have thunk? Who would have ever expected to see that in their lifetime? I, I'm sure the only other place that would have been a home run would be like Tropicana Field where they have that super low wall. That's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. So that's probably the one other park, but... It's just so strange, but yeah, really nice. Oh, 110 off the bat too. That 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 exit velocity with that launch angle, that ball was out of the park in a second. Like it was so fast. He just smoked that. But yeah, like I said earlier, Salvi has been hitting extremely well in the last week since he came back from the IL. When he came back from the IL way too early, like he should not be playing right now. But he is, and I don't know, I guess we're better off because of it, for it. I'm not going to complain as long as he's actually hitting well, I guess. Sure, it is pretty dangerous, but, well, I don't know. The Royals kind of seem to play injured players no matter what. So I guess I'll accept it if it's a good thing that he's playing well while injured. Also, a funny thing that I just want to muse about, uh, Salvi's slash line is a 215 average, 253 on base, 458 slugging. The slugging is is solid, but uh, yeah, the rest of that, ooh, 215 average, 253 on base, that's big yucky. That's big yucky. And yet, he has an OPS plus of, guess what it is? You know, that seems so terrible. What could it possibly be? I say that because I was stalling for time. 96. With 100 being average, Salvi is 4% less. Salvi is 4% below the league average with a 215 average and a 253 on base. And if you and if you don't like OPS plus, if you prefer work plus or weighted runs created plus, it's 94. So yeah, Salvi for all intents and purposes has basically been league average, just a little bit below while hitting 215. What? Just just amazing, dude. On-base percentage is so overrated. Who needs to take walks when you can just mash dingers all day? Bat go... So that was a really, really fun day on offense. Really fun to see the bats come to life. Really fun to see Salvi drive in several runs and, you know, just take charge of this young team. Really, really fun to see. And, you know, it's funny because I was almost about to check out and not even watch the game because it was starting so awfully. The first inning of this game was pretty rough. It was just not it was just bad defense all around. I think Michael A. Taylor missed a fly ball or like he, he had he had a dive and just like totally ate shit and it was just ugly and yeah, uh, Chris Bubich gave up a couple hits and a walk and gave up two runs and I'm like, okay. I'm uh, really not in the mood for this. I think I'm just going to watch Hosmer hit for a bit and then check out and go to bed. But then Chris really bounced back after that. He had that one awful inning where he gave up two runs. Well, he gave up two runs over the, in, the over his entire start. He went six innings, two earned runs, four hits, one walk, six strikeouts. So there you go. Half the hits and 100% of his walks and runs all came in that first inning. You basically erase that inning, and then it's two hits, six strikeouts, zero runs. That's just freaking awesome. Or, or, And then I guess five innings instead of six innings. So, yeah, it was really, really 
like a, a an interesting start for Chris Bubich. Uh, we'd like to see him bounce back. We'd like to see him just get over that and uh, just throw innings. Throwing innings is super important. We need our guys to throw six innings I, and just no matter what, just throw innings and then I'll at least be somewhat happy that you can do that because the Royals don't have enough guys that can eat innings. The Royals have had a problem with getting guys to uh, pitch beyond the second time in the lineup. But Chris was, uh, he was effective. And like I said, he ate innings and that's the most important thing. But he also managed to really bounce back and navigate through this Red Sox lineup pretty well. So awesome. We love to see that. But I, uh, I said something a little weird a minute ago. I said I was going to watch Hosmer hitting. What? What am I talking about? Hosmer is hitting? Where? Like I'm going to watch a, I'm going to, I'm about to turn on the Padres game or something. No, you silly. Hosmer, the legend Eric Hosmer, is now a Boston Red Sox. How interesting. Really funny how that worked out. And uh, it, it's it's part of uh, one of the most dramatic things I think I've seen uh, as part of any baseball trade where the Padres just... Man, they freaking did it. They got Juan Soto. They got the best player in baseball. And as part of it, as part of it, they tried to send Eric Hosmer to Washington, D.C. <laughs> I'm not sure why Washington would want that for any reason. But yeah, that was part of the deal. San Diego was going to send a bunch of their top prospects and Hosmer to get Juan Soto and Josh Bell. That's a, that was just man, that was a, that is a nuts trade. That might be the best trade anybody has ever made, especially if San Diego wins the World Series this year. So yeah, I would say their odds of winning the World Series have been uh risen pretty dramatically. But in any case, yeah, Hosmer was supposed to go to DC. However, he has a no trade clause and it was well within his right to say F you, I'm not going to Washington where the place sucks and uh, the team sucks. Why would I want to do, like, I'm going to, yeah, I would love to leave my playoff caliber team who just got the best player in baseball so I can play for a team that's about to lose 100 games for three years. <laughs> like, come on, dude, that was so, That I mean... I get it. I get that the Padres have been really trying to move Haas, but God, that was so mean, dude. That was just rude. Fortunately, a decent team was able to pick him up, and that was the Boston Red Sox. So they were able to get him, and they're also paying him like a million per year for the next couple of years. So yeah, they get him for super cheap, and I think that's fine. Haas gets to play for a team that's probably not going to do anything meaningful, at least this season, but at least he can play some competent baseball, some competitive baseball, have a little bit of fun over there. And of course, this meant that his very first game with the Boston Red Sox would be, while they're on the road, in Kansas City. It just so happened that we would play the Boston Red Sox right when they acquire... Eric Hosmer. And it's a funny coincidence that that happens because in this entire time, in his, in Haas's entire time with the Padres, the Royals and Padres have never played. 
I mean, they were, you know, they might have played in like spring training, but they never had any actual games. We were supposed to play the Padres in 2020. The Padres were supposed to come to Kansas City in 2020. And I remember telling my family, because my mom and my sister, they love Hosmer. Oh, man, they freaking love her. My, my older sister has a 2016 Hosmer jersey with the World Series patch, with the gold lettering. Oh, it's super nice, dude. It is, like, I got... Someday I gotta take that jersey for myself. Oh, it's so beautiful. And, uh, yeah, they love Hosmer. And I was getting them hype back in 2019. And I'm like, ooh, they dropped the schedule. Hosmer's coming to KC next year. Yeah! And then the pandemic happened. So, no Padres in KC. No Hosmer in KC. Because the interleague schedule got completely shifted around. And then they basically, uh, like, skipped it. Because in 2021, I think, uh, yeah, once again, Interleague was just the divisions across from themselves. So American League Central only played National League Central. So, yeah, it's taken all this time for the Padres to come here. Because also, remember, we played the Padres in uh, 2017. So that's why we didn't play them in 2018 or 2019 because of the divisional rotation with how interleague works, blah, 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 blah. Lots of logistics. I mean, it makes sense. It's just very unfortunate. It's just a it's just a coincidence. You know, you'll get those cases where some teams just don't play each other in certain stadiums forever. Like, for example, speaking of Washington, D.C., did you know that the Nationals have never hosted the Oakland Athletics? Yeah, the Oakland Athletics have never played a game in Washington. That's interesting. That's just how it works sometimes. But yeah, so it was interesting to see that the Padres would be in Kansas City finally this season in August. And then before that happens, he gets traded somewhere else. But by some magical coincidence, it just so happens to be the team that would come into KC next in August, which is the Boston Red Sox. So yeah, finally, at long last, after five years, we got to see Haas, and it was so nice. It was really nice just to see everyone so excited for Haas. I mean, I, I don't like. There are th- like I miss Haas. I do miss Haas a lot, and I've always said like the first baseman that we've had since Hosmer have never been as good. And he's, it's really reminded me like what made Hosmer so good because so many times I've seen some plays just miss the first baseman. And I'm like, Oh man, Haas made that every time. Oh, Haas would have had that. Finally, that's stopped with uh, the emergence of Nick Prado, but yeah, I do miss Haas for that. Would I have signed him to an eight year deal for 144 million? Mm, no, I'm glad the Royals didn't get out of didn't have to stick with that. Although the Royals did apparently, supposedly, rumoredly, rumoredly, hmm, they apparently offered a five-year, one hundred million dollar contract. Which thinking about that, that might not have been so bad. I don't know. It's it's. I just wonder. I wonder what the. Tra- the trajectory of both teams would have been. Like, if the Royals signed that contract and the Padres didn't, you know, the Padres fans, they do not like Haas. (laughs) They really don't. And I get it, Haas never really played well for San Diego, but it does make me think, like, maybe those intangibles, you know, that clubhouse leadership, and just the fact that they signed Hosmer 
at all. Like, I think that really changed the trajectory of the San Diego Padres. Like, let's put it this way. If the Padres don't sign Eric Hosmer in 2018, do they sign Manny Machado in 2019? I mean, maybe. I mean, if they're the ones that signed, that offered the most money, sure, probably. But even then, another thing to consider, does Manny Machado reform as, you know, one of baseball's biggest villains to suddenly actually a really nice guy in San Diego without Hosmer? Like, is he... Is Hosmer partially responsible for Machado being an actually all right guy? Because remember how he, like like when Hos not Hosmer uh, when Machado was with the Orioles and then briefly with the Dodgers, man he was like the biggest asshole in the league in the sport, dude. Like everyone hated this guy. But then suddenly in San Diego, you never hear anything bad about him. You only hear nice things about him. How about how he's been this really great guy for the team and how. You know, he works so hard and he's been such a role model for the younger players. You know, I just wonder, is that maybe part is that part of Hosmer's influence? Or maybe he just had a change of heart. That's always possible. I'm not entirely sure. But again, I do wonder if Machado comes to San Diego just because San Diego has already established or had already established themselves as a high spending team. Cause like, like when did San Diego ever shill out big money for the top free agents? You know, like Hosmer, love him or hate him. Hosmer was the biggest free agent of that 2018 class. Sure. It was a very, very small free agent class. I understand, but it was, he was still the number one guy in that off season. So the fact that San Diego was the team to land him, I think that kind of changed some perspective of that team where they're like, oh, San Diego can actually drop some big money on big name players like Eric Hosmer. And again, maybe that helps Manny Machado come over to San Diego. So I wonder, I, I want to think maybe just the fact that they had Hosmer at all that just made San Diego's fortunes go up a little bit. It made the place more attractive for some other guys. And it maybe helped some of those younger players develop, like Tatis Jr. I don't know. Just some food for thought. I, I can't say for sure because I'm, I'm not very familiar with the Padres and how people feel about them and the players, how they feel about them. I know they liked Hosmer a lot. I know the players really loved Hosmer. So, eh. Meanwhile, the Royals are the Royals so bad if Hosmer returns to KC? Like, do they lose a combined 207 games across two seasons for those first two years? If he was here now, would the clubhouse be in a lot, a, a much brighter mood? Would, would we see everyone so, like, down and serious and just kind of, eh? Makes me wonder, maybe the Royals would be a better team if they had Hosmer. And maybe the Padres wouldn't be so good if they didn't have Hosmer. I think the Padres will be fine now. The Padres have way too much talent to just suddenly, like, die off without Hosmer. I think that Hosmer helped establish a culture, and it's going to live on without him. But the Royals, they haven't built a culture for themselves within their team. And maybe Hosmer could have helped with that. Just some food for thought. Like I can't say for sure. These are things that they cannot be objectified. 
if that's the right word. Like, there's no metric for this. It's just something that it's just felt. It's maybe seen or heard. It's a sensation. It's not a physical thing, like a number. Yeah. Eric Hosmer's a very interesting guy. I like him a lot. I really hope he does well with Boston. And again, it was really nice to see him come back to KC, finally get the warm welcome that has been that he's been deserving of, you know, cuz again, for as much as San Diego might not like him and I completely understand why, he is still beloved in Kansas City. I feel like Hosmer is one of like the greatest examples of a disparity between other teams. That's probably not the right way of saying it. But what I'm saying is that like, you know, this is someone who is maybe honestly, I mean, this might be a stretch, but potentially a team Hall of Famer, like potentially a Royals Hall of Famer, just someone who is super accomplished with his original team and super beloved, but then goes on elsewhere and is pretty much completely unsuccessful and really not well-liked. And uh, yeah, he's probably had the one of the biggest drop-offs uh, in terms of reputation and, I guess, achievements uh, since leaving his original team. However you want to put that. There's probably a, a proper phrase or word to describe that, and it has just completely escaped me right now. But, yeah, I really liked seeing him back in Kaufman, and I really liked seeing people just give him the respect that he deserves, at least in Kansas City, you know. But, you know, for as much as... San Diego is really glad to be rid of him. I have seen some people in Boston say that they like him a lot. I've seen some people in Boston be like, you know what? Hosmer's a good guy. I'm glad we have him on our team. Especially because it means no more Franchi Cordero at first base. <laughs> so basically, uh, the the Red Sox traded Andrew Benintendi for Eric Hosmer. Because we gave the Red Sox Franchi Cordero for Andrew Benintendi. <laughs> How how about that for an interesting little uh chain of trades or whatever. A nice little chain reaction, I guess. Now Hosmer didn't really do anything in the game, although he did fly out about 410 feet into center field. So that was a nice welcome back to Kauffman Stadium. Oh, and also he grounded out to the second baseman or the pitcher. It would have been a nice double play ball, but there wasn't anybody on base. But you know what he did? <laughs> he slid into first base. <laughs> I was so, I was really hoping for that. I'm like, oh man, like I was, I was saying like all throughout the game, I'm like, oh man, I hope he grounds out and dives into first base just for old time's sake. And he absolutely did. <laughs> Why does he do that? It doesn't make any sense. It's so stupid, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I was so overjoyed seeing that. Man, I love Eric Hosmer. I wish all the best for him and his family. I didn't know he had a I didn't know he had a son on the way. That's so awesome, dude. So, yeah. Great great for Eric Hosmer. Hope he does well with Boston. Hope he has a really nice life. It was really nice seeing him again. So I think that's about all that I've got to say for today. The Royals are going to play for the rest of the weekend, unsurprisingly. They are going to stay in KC playing the Boston Red Sox. 
We've got Zach Greinke on the mound tonight, and then Daniel Lynch tomorrow, Brad Keller pitching on Sunday, and uh, I basically know none of the Boston pitchers. We've got John Winkowski pitching today, someone with a 5 ERA, 45 innings pitched, and 9 starts, so okay. And then Nathan Eovaldi tomorrow, someone that I've never been, like, a big fan of. I honestly thought he was, like, really overrated because of, you know, he had, like, a super big World Series in 2018, and I get that, but then the Red Sox signed him to, a, like, a huge contract, and I'm like, Why? Like, he never really was good. He just had that one really great World Series. Had a great year last year, though. Was actually a Cy Young runner-up, but has kind of come down to earth and is, like, an okay pitcher this season. So, yeah. And then Cutter Crawford is going to be the Boston pitcher for Sunday. Someone who was basically in his first season. Only pitched a couple innings last year. But So, yeah, this is basically his rookie season. 3.86 ERA through 7 starts, 16 games overall, 53.2 innings pitched, and uh, 56 strikeouts in those 53 innings. So it seems like a, an interesting guy that the Royals, that the, not the Royals, the I guess the, an interesting guy that the Royals have to face. Yeah, I'll finish that sentence. Or rather, I wanted to say an interesting guy that the Red Sox got. He was actually a 16th round pick all the way from 2017. So, yeah, it's a nice little value that they got <laughs> getting a starting pitcher that late into the draft that long ago. Why not? So, hopefully this will be a nice, fun series for the Royals. Hopefully they'll keep up those bats and continue hitting against this Red Sox pitching staff that is just not very good, I don't think. Especially now that they uh, lost Chris Sale again. <laughs> So and uh Michael Waka, their actual best pitcher, has been on the IL. So yeah, that's unfortunate for them. So anyway, whatever happens, we'll talk about it when we get there. That's all for me today. Thank you very much for listening to the Royal Deluxe Podcast. I would love to hear from you at Royal Deluxe Pod on Twitter or Royal Deluxe Podcast at gmail.com. Tell me what you think about Eric Hosmer or Whatever. Do you miss Eric Hosmer? Do you think the Royals should have signed him to a contract all the way back in 2018? Do you think things would be different now if we gave him that five-year deal and he accepted it? I think it's really interesting to think about. But in any case, thank you very much for making this podcast a part of your day, and I hope you're having a good one. I'm Lux, and thanks a lot. Go, go Royals. That's what I'm supposed to say at the end of the podcast. I forgot my own outro.